Welcome to the Rugby Bits podcast and the start of our series of Rugby Bits um, previews uh, podcast for the Six Nations. Today we are joined by the awesome Will Owen and we will talk, go into depth about the state of Welsh rugby today. Um, Will was telling us before we started recording that unfortunately we don't have enough money in our budget to get Robbie, um, obviously known as Squid Rugby, to most rugby um, followers. But Will, thank you so much for coming and slamming it with our podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, before we started recording, you compared me to Tolupe Falatau, so I will take that any day of the week. <laughs> that is sufficient payment as far as I'm concerned. Look, yeah, we definitely have the Tolupe Falatau of the, of the two brothers. You're, I, I'm sure Robbie will be so unhappy to hear that he missed out on being called that now. Yeah, yes, he'll have yeah. to come up and stand, for, uh, stand up for himself on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He has to come on this pod before we can reveal what player I compared him to, and he will not <laughs> like it. Exactly. <laughs> Jared, you good on your side? Yes, I'm good. Um, like we were saying just before we started, uh, it's starting to warm up a little bit here, but uh, I'm not getting too carried away with myself. Um, I know that uh, it could probably get a bit colder in February, but at least we'll have the Six Nations on to, to keep me warm and happy. So otherwise, I'm good, man. <laughs> and then, well, just before we get into the meaty stuff, when... I, I saw like this term Sixmas um, on, 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 on Twitter. When does Sixmas start? Is it the week before Six Nations? Is it the night before? How does it work? I would personally go with the night before the Six Nations. So there's, uh, for me, it always reminds me of, there was this advert in, that they showed in Wales like probably about 10 years ago now, which was really good, where they said, they had like all of this, these like, uh, family saying, ah, oh, happy Six Nations, doing a countdown <laughs> and everything, like it was, you know, Christmas or New Year or whatever. And um, there was a really good bit where they had, like, a, they were in a card shop and saying, like, oh, yeah, we're selling these Six Nations cards, you know, not sold a Grand Slam uh, card in a while. And then there's a joke where they go, like, oh, yeah, wooden spoon cards, we have to ship those in bulk to the Scots. Um, <laughs> and then there was a really, the really good punchline at the end of it is where they have, uh, they said, oh, yeah, we sent the kids to bed. They still think Sam Warburton comes at night and gives, delivers them presents. And then at the end of the advert, they have Sam Warburton run up to the door and ring the doorbell. It's just, it was brilliant. And just like, that's, that's what I associate the, the Six Nations week with. Um, particularly the night before, that was, I, it's always great getting into the spirit. And um, yeah, just looking forward to what is always one of the most enjoyable rugby tournaments of the year. Yeah, I think we can say that even from a Southern Hemisphere perspective, we are so excited for the Six Nations. And yeah, a special Six Nations as well. It's a World Cup here. And, you know, funnily enough, in a World Cup here, two teams, including Wales themselves, have changed their coaches. So there's a lot to get into on the, on the, on the field side. But I think it would be remiss of us to not start with um, some of the controversies that have been happening in the Welsh Rugby Union um, in the past week. So basically, to give a very quick summary, in the last few weeks, never mind the issues with the Welsh, Welsh Rugby Union and the clubs and the state of the professional game, professional men's game in Wales. The last few weeks, there was a documentary that went out on BBC Wales with allegations of misogyny, sexism, racism, and homophobia being leveled against uh, members of the WRU. It led to the, um, the stepping down of, of, the, of the WRU CEO, um, and then Nigel Walker has come in to as the acting Wales Rugby Union chief executive. And he basically said in one of his quotes now that the future of Welsh rugby is in danger. So, well, I think I'll just sort of give you free sort of the, the platform just to, you know, talk about and just inform us about 
you know, what's going on and yeah, just your feelings about it being a Welsh IP supporter. Sure. It's, it's a difficult time um, for certain to support uh, Wales and to kind of get behind this team when something like this has happened at all, let alone so close to the Six Nations starting. But so the, I would say that kind of the headlines around this are that a member of Welsh Rugby Union staff uh, made a joke about um, committing a, a violent uh, sexual um, attack on a female member of staff uh, involved in the WIU. Um, there was somebody, I believe it was somebody else, said that men are a master race and women should stick to ironing, which is, you know, not a great take in itself. There was, I mean, there's just a general... Um, kind of uh, ingrained uh, culture of misogyny has seemingly uh, haunted the WRU for a long time now that um, there's, there's you've no, you might have noticed there's a screenshot of like the, the our staff page on the WRU website and it's basically all just bald men um, and yeah there was so they, they recently had so Amanda Blank who has been voted as one of the business people of the year uh, used to work at the WRU and you know some clearly incredibly misinformed high-ups at the WAU had said that she was surplus to requirements, and she has obviously gone on and kind of shoved the two fingers up to them ever since. Um, yeah, so with all of that in mind, um, I'm really, obviously really, really upset that this has all happened, um, that supporting Wales is essentially the same as supporting the WAU, which on the basis of everything that's happened, I do not do, you know? So it's uh, being a Wales fan at a time like this is really quite difficult and quite difficult to motivate myself for, such as um, in the WAU release, uh, no, the, the Six Nations release that happened a few days ago, uh, they asked Warren Gatland about this and his answer to the question was, I would say nothing short of pathetic. Um, and I say this is a man who has actively loved Warren Gatland for, you know, the best part of 15 years now. Um and, you know, I was so overwhelmingly delighted when he got the Welsh job back, as we'll no doubt get into. But um, his response to that being, oh, well, there's always two sides to this story rather than going, I don't. He said at first, you know, I don't really know what's happened there. But he followed it up by saying, yeah, there's two sides to these things rather than like, but we obviously don't condone something like that. And I can't help but feel like as a bare minimum, he at least could have said something like that. So uh, it's extremely disappointing with a man who I've looked up to for so long that he's failed to uh, condemn such horrible behavior um but yeah as i say it's an extremely sour time to uh to be looking on everything that's happening with the wiu and the way it's being dealt with yeah so warren gatlin basically said he doesn't know he doesn't know what happened and yeah you have to hear both sides of the story which is yeah as you said a very at the very being generous an unfortunate comment for him to make mm. And yeah, I don't think there's too many people that have covered themselves in, in, in any form of glory. Um, and I know though a lot of the professional clubs have made statements that were calling for Steve Phillips to step down, which he eventually did, and calling for obviously big changes and investigations to happen uh, within the structures of the WRU. So I guess there's some positives to take from the response of some of the rugby community. I Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. I think that... The WIU, clearly this came out and they did their best to just sweep it under the carpet. And I think that there's a lot of cases like this where um, certain clubs and teams and unions and so on have tried and in a lot of cases succeeded to sweep this under the carpet. 
you know, like, uh, I mean, I don't want to get into this too much, but like you look at kind of like the way that BC Sport and so on handle the whole thing with London Irish and their policy of signing uh, Paddy Jackson and so on, that like that's uh, that's very much swept under the carpet because uh, London Irish have just basically never addressed it. Uh, and the WRU very much went down that path as well and very much tried to make this a non-story. Um, and certain publications might have done the same thing and gone, no, we don't want to cover this. But actually, you know what? I'm really reassured by um, the amount of people who have really made a big deal of this because it is a big deal. It's It should not be tolerated. And we can't just go along giving people a slap on the wrist and saying, oh, that's silly. Don't do that again. Like, no, actually, we need to fundamentally change how the union is run so something like this doesn't happen again. And in fact, while, while we're behind, we might as well, you know, not only just stamp it out, but try and create an actively positive culture surround it, to surround it all. Um, I feel like at this point, you know, we've got a lot of making up to do um, in Wales and as a, as a Welsh rugby union. Um, and yeah, now is the only time to start. Yeah, and we'll... Go on, Jared. Yeah, uh, well, I, I think uh, one of the big positives Akhtala said is uh, how quickly the the clubs and that reacted and put out statements uh, condemning them. And um, Phillips, uh, from what I read initially, he was very keen to carry on um, in his role and was not willing to resign at all until the clubs moved to uh, and put out those statements. So I, I, I think um, the one thing Wales can sort of, uh, well, the Welsh rugby community can look at and say is at least the unions have um, their, their back kind of thing and look uh, looking yeah. after the interests of the of the fans and yeah I, th- I think there's a big tug of war between the clubs and the, the union as a whole um, when you look at the the player contracts that aren't being sorted out and the funding isn't being agreed upon and so I, th- I think uh, what what's good is now we have uh, Wales have a change at the top. Um, hopefully, the, uh, the change at the top will filter down through the rest, and yo, know, we could be talking about a very different uh, Welsh rugby union from from twenty twenty four. Yeah, for sure. I think um, the most disappointing thing on Phillips's side of this is that in his statement he said, "I'm sorry for how these people felt." how they felt, not how they were treated. You know, a sorry yeah. you feel that way, which isn't an apology, you know? Yeah, it was terrible. Um, that was, it's terrible, yeah. And it's, if, if anything, that's actively condoning what mm. people have done and said, because they said, well, it's their fault for being offended by this, when no, that's not the case. Like, people shouldn't be saying things like that. And it's, they have a responsibility to stamp that out. And as I say, Phillips didn't try and do that. And he's gone. Nigel Walker's come in. Um, for context of anybody who uh, isn't kind of familiar with, Nigel Walker's previous role that he was the performance director for Wales for Welsh rugby throughout and uh, as far as I'm concerned he's absolutely golden I think he's the best man for the job um, he so in his first two weeks in charge as performance director he came in and basically just called out the WIU as an entire kind of structure for not taking women's rugby seriously and not um, caring about it essentially and said no we need to make this a priority we have kind of the gap in the market to turn our women's rugby program into the best in the world um and look we're a long long way off that so far but uh if you look at where the wales team is now compared to where they were you know 18 months ago or even just before nigel walker got the job it's night and day because he's immediately sorted out getting them pro contract getting them much better high quality coaching you know they've got Johan cunningham who 
frankly was unlucky not to be a part of Wayne Pivak's uh, coaching team when he first took the Wales job, the men's job that is. Um, and yeah, like that, as far as I'm concerned, uh, is a really, really good sign. It's obviously not going to be easy. He's got a big uphill climb. But I think that given that the first thing he did was he was not afraid to stand up what he believed in of women's rugby being a priority. I feel like it would be a very similar scenario here. And hearing talk on Scrum 5 last night or the other night was really, really promising the way he said, no, what we've done isn't good enough and I'm going to do something about it. Yeah, Nigel Wilker seems to be, and yeah, this is a very loaded term most times, but I mean, with all sincerity, but he seems like a really good rugby man and someone that yeah. really tries to push forward the the, the values that of rugby that we should push forward all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do hope that this game and the sport and you know, society in general, as we know, can be a lot better and a lot more welcoming and more than that to to women as well. And yeah, I think the incidents the last few weeks um, in, in Wales, even in Scotland with um, a certain player now being taken off his contract for domestic uh, domestic abuse um, mm. uh, charge as well, um, Rivers McLean. Yeah, it, it shows that there's a lot of work to do in rugby for the future. Yeah. I think while, while we're on that, I think Glasgow have handled that superbly. Yeah. I think we look at, uh, as a parallel, uh, Ivan Neymar um, mm. getting like a, rest of season ban for being horrifically racist against Sharif Traore uh, for Benetton. Um, I won't go into the details of that because it's horrible, but um, the fact that they've, they've again, tried to sweep it under the carpet, they've gone, right, we'll ban him for the rest of the season, then he can play again for us. That's not a good enough punishment unless we see some kind of genuine um, uh, kind of evidence that he is improving as a person and that he is willing to kind of stand up against this kind of behavior done by others in future. Um, and is actually fighting for, you know, a, a, a better kind of less racist outcome in these kinds of things. But um, instead, what Glasgow have done is they've kicked out Rufus McLean, who was much like Neymar, was a really good player, but evidently not a good bloke. Um, and uh, it, they've done exactly the right thing by not only kicking him out, but they've brought in uh, like kind of local services I think it was something called Don't Be That Guy in Glasgow, mm. uh, like a local thing to come in and teach young players about why this is a bad thing, why this isn't behavior that should be at all condoned and how to call people out on it. I think that's a brilliant thing that they're, they're using that initiative and forcing, causing an active positive change. Yeah, I think, well, hopefully that, that example can be taken forward. And yeah, I mean, it's... Bit difficult to transition into regular things from there, but yeah, <laughs> yes. hopefully, hopefully we do in the next few weeks are able to keep to talk more about what's happening on the field while things off the field are getting improved on by by the right people. Absolutely. But let us get into well before we step onto the rugby field, we have to talk about changes in the coaches' box. Mm. Um, a young upstart um, has come in into the Welsh coaching as the Wales head coach now. A young uh, a one Warren <laughs> Gatland. I started as coach now. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, yeah, I, I'm sure some 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 deep rugby enthusiasts would know about him, but <laughs> he has replaced Wayne Pivak after a bad run of results. Obviously, the highlights or the lowlights for Wales last year were the losses against Italy and Georgia, and yeah, he's come in for Wayne P, um, for Warren Gatling. Now, it's it's interesting. Obviously, just looking at it from a South African perspective, I mean, well, we had you here last year, and you're talking about you know how the the PVAC era was going and possibilities for improvement, but there were, you acknowledged, and I was just listening to the 
well, podcast again, you did acknowledge like issues that you saw with the the Wales game plan that just they were never okay. solved. I was dreading you saying like I was going to say, oh no, they were amazing. Uh, I, I was <laughs> dreading my response there. Something aged horribly. No, I think it aged relatively well. I mean, you okay. didn't predict someone's fire being fired, but yeah, the, that's quite <laughs> unprecedented. But yeah, I mean, apart from Wayne kind of looking like Warren Gatlin's cousin, I mean, what <laughs> yeah, what went wrong with the Pivac era? Um. It's it's a really good question because it's the easiest thing in the world of sport when you have a few bad games in a row to just point at literally everything that went wrong and go, oh yeah, well, obviously he wasn't fit for purpose or whatever. You know, it's the easiest thing to get carried away or something like that. First and foremost, I was very much in favour of the um, appointment of Wayne Peacock at the time. Um, and by all means, I think he's, he comes across as a generally quite good bloke uh, and, you know, I, I do like him. And obviously, as as a Welsh fan, wish him well, uh, as much as it didn't kind of work out in the way we wanted to. But there was a point when we started losing games where there was an air of desperation in uh, the way he conducted himself in interviews and so on, tried to just keep his job. And he would do things like blaming the referees. And I'm really, really not about that. I think that even if we have a rubbish referee, we need to play better ourselves. We need to figure out a way to, to you know, to, to win potentially incorrect decisions you know um that's what like uh to use this example again like richie mccaw is lauded as one of the best players of all time and rightfully so because he was so so good at getting 50 50 decisions off referees uh in the breakdown um and you know like hearing after our loss to italy wayne pivak saying um oh we had a try unfairly ruled out by inexperienced tmo and that inexperienced TMO he was on about was Joy Neville, who refereed the Women's World Cup final in 2017. So I don't think she's inexperienced. But to kind of get more to the meat of the actual question, I think if I was to pick out one thing that I think went wrong with the PVAC era, the way Wales tried to play specifically, I think that Wales just didn't kick enough. I think that uh, Wales got way too carried away with trying to make line breaks from 40, 50 metres when actually a much more sensible approach and one that worked towards the end of, you know, the Gatland era. And look, like, uh, as you guys know, that uh, uh, Razi Erasmus, Jacques Nyanaber and the Springboks won a World Cup, uh, the last World Cup, in fact, by playing a really heavy kicking game and are one of the best teams in the world from the, the almost exclusively, like, having the best, one of the best kicking games in the world. Um, and obviously there's there's other teams that have kind of, like, uh, are in that conversation now but you look at france and like their kicking game uh specifically when they're on the front foot is better than anybody else uh in international rugby uh at the moment so the fact that uh, wayne pivak's wales were so hell-bent on trying to get line breaks from ambitious positions meant a lot of turnover ball and you know a lot of ugly results going against us and i'm really hopeful that under gatland we go back to where we were in 2019 and really try and just play like a strategic kicking game from all over the park. I I, I think I think you hit the nail on the head, and I I think what's mad about it is that, like he he sort of went, uh, went and picked a team like he 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 picked the the best players Wales had at, at their disposal, but he didn't uh, tailor the game plan to to suit the players. I mean, you look at guys like mm-hmm. Dan Bigger, um, Hardy, even Reese Webb. You've got some amazing kickers throughout the throughout Wales, and none of them are, are kicking. But he stopped selecting them. Like when Lee Halfpenny was fit, Lee Halfpenny was picked, and Lee Halfpenny is very much a tactical kicking fullback. 
and you're not using that weapon to your advantage. So, yeah, I, I think he was hell-bent on playing a attacking brand of rugby, but didn't include kicking in that at all. Yeah, yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. I think that, you know, you look at... Uh, when you've got Dan Bigger as your starting fly half, as much as he is a capable attacker, I would say, you know, you're not going to try and then play like the Barbarians, are you? And again, to use this as an example, because they literally won the last World Cup, you look at Andre Pollard has one of the biggest boots of any fly half uh, in rugby in the last sort of 10, 20 years. And so, you know, they've gone, right, okay, let's stick it in the air. That's a really great opportunity to get our rapid wingers after it. And like um, up there, I mean, alongside the likes of Makasola Mapimpi, got Josh Adams on the left wing for Wales and now playing a little bit of fullback. Is, he's, he's one of the best finishers in the world, first and foremost. But finishing is only, his, as far as I'm concerned, in my opinion, his second best attribute. His kick chase is utterly world-class that, um, you know, whether it's winning something in the air, a collision in the air or smashing somebody into touch uh, after a, a good kick by Dan Bigger, I think that that's, uh, if anything, the most underused tactic of the last couple of years is really relying on the likes of Adams. And I imagine Reese Abbott will be perfectly capable of it, but obviously we've not really seen us play a strong kicking game with him on the wing, but I'm sure he'd be more than capable. Um, but having two wingers that are that quick and that strong and able um, defensively, that would it would be really, really good to see Wales lean back into that, as you say. Like, uh, the, picking the, the best players, as you say, but you're right. If we could lean into a strategy that suits them a little bit more, that would be ideal. And then, well, how does the losses to Italy and Georgia, like, how much were they a factor? Or, you know, how much does that be like, is that like almost like a line under the sand, almost like when the Springboks lost to Italy? Um, in the Alistair Kutsia era, or is it just more of a, there was a general downturn and Pivac's um, uh, uh, like position became untenable? I think that's a really good question because there's a couple of sides to this. So there's a part of me that couldn't help but feel like as soon as Wayne Pivac was in the job, uh, there was a lot of people that were kind of like, wait, what? This guy's not Gatland. No, let's go for his head. Um, and kind of wanted him gone straight away. But um it's difficult to tell, but I feel like um, the most obvious statement I can possibly say is those losses didn't help. Um, the one to Georgia in particular, because as a fan, I look at the Italy loss and actually feel like Wales didn't play too badly in that game, which is a weird thing to say. I wouldn't say it was like an all-time like worst Welsh loss of some description, because at the end of the day, we still lost to Italy, who we'd not lost to in a long, long time. But at the same time, like I can see how that could possibly be salvageable. But the Georgia game, we didn't play well. And as much as they're a really, really good team, Georgia were nowhere near their best and they still beat us because they just knew how. And like we were tactically very lost in that game and we got bullied up front. Like um, I feel like the Georgia game in particular was the moment where alarm bells started to ring because um, Wayne Pivak came out in the post-match press conference and said something like... Um, uh, so we've had some games that you guys might consider to be an upset. And it's like, yeah, of course we consider it to be an upset. When Warren Gatlin came in, you know, when Warren Gatlin left, rather, we were gutted to not win a World Cup. Like, uh, and as much as, you know, like South Africa completely deserved to win that World Cup, as a Welsh fan, I came away from that thinking, damn, that was the one that got away. Um, and obviously I was extremely proud of the the Wales players and um, them getting as far as the semi-finals, and of course, <laughs> losing to South Africa. Um, you know, I was very proud of that. But at the same time, I thought, oh, we should have gone the whole way there. We should have won that. 
and you know we were um uh, a clear out on Francois Lowe potentially away from the, that being the case and yet here we are then questioning whether George, losing to Georgia is actually an upset at all and at that point you've gone very far backwards yeah that's okay, uh, and then we get go uh, on, sorry, sorry Tala but uh, th- that um, comment sort of reminds me of Alistair Kutsia when uh, the Springboks got pumped by the All Blacks and he said no we can take a lot of positives away from from this result and <laughs> You, you you just sit back and you're like, there's there's no ways this guy can be serious. Yeah. Yeah, I think there are a lot of parallels there. And I mean, even I think some of our discussions about the New Zealand job situation as well. Well, let's then move to the new man or the new old man that's come back into the position, which is Warren Gatland. And obviously Gatland's, you know, coached um, the, the national team for 12 years, was highly successful in it. So... You know, how are Warren Gatlin and Wayne Pivak's um, approaches different in terms of their tactics? I think you alluded to it a little bit in talking about Pivak's failures, but what does a Warren Gatlin type of team do? I'm sure you'd be an expert in <laughs> Yeah, I think that the great thing about Warren Gatlin and kind of the end of his original tenure was that he'd had 12, 12 years to figure out what this team needed to do. And uh, what Warren Gatlin was really, really good at and always has been really good at is making teams overachieve. And uh, he said at one point in an interview recently, like, we've not spoken much about winning things. We just want to, you know, do better than anybody maybe gives us a chance to, which, uh, you know, is something that would make me proud of as a Wales fan, obviously, if we put aside the stuff we talked about at the start of this episode. Um, but yeah, so I think certainly by the end of the, the Gatland era, Wales weren't particularly bothered about scoring flashy tries from long range, that uh, they actually just thought, you know what? We have to become a team that just gets in the habit of winning games. And uh, I remember just before the World Cup, Wales went on a sort of 15-odd game win streak. And Gatlin said, uh, I think we've forgotten how to lose because we had this great system where we had... Um, Dan Bigger has always been very much the best fly half in Wales for you know most of his playing career. Um, but we had a system where Gareth Anscombe was the starter and he would, uh, he would figure out the game and what needed to be done and then for the last sort of 20, 30 minutes, Bigger would come on and just kick the leather off it and put us in the right positions to eventually slot a winning kick with the last 10 minutes, which is always the way it went. Um, and that's very much what I like uh, about this is I, I think Wales um, uh, have always taken pride in being kind of the jammiest team out there. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping that that's kind of the, the system we can get forward again, whether it's Dumbing starting at 10, obviously we've got Anscombe out injured um, at the moment, but yeah, we've got three tens uh, in the squad who all know how to manage games, whether it's starting or from the bench. So that's something that excites me. I feel like Gatland um, uh, very much has that in mind that uh, he wants to have three really good game managers in his squad, essentially as an on-field coach. So yeah, uh, I'm really excited about that. And I'm, I'm hoping that that is indeed the style he still goes for now. Jared, how excited are you to watch some Warren Ball again? Oh, I'm ecstatic. Like, I, I, I love Warren <laughs> Gatlin. I, I really do. I do love the Oak. Like, uh, there was a few, uh, uh, like, the few South Africans won't like him too much after the war on words during the Lions tour and that kind of thing. But Gatlin does get a bit like Eddie Jones in that sense that uh, he, he's he's not afraid to take on the um, other head coaches uh, through the media and that kind of thing. So, yeah, but I'm, I, I've been a fan of Warren Gatlin 
uh, ever since I became aware of him. Um, I didn't just look at mm. Wales as the team we played against, but uh, actually started looking at players and coaches and that kind of thing. Yeah, you, you spoke about uh, Wales always finding a way to win. And the minute you said that, the first thing that came to mind was that uh, Corey Hill try in 2019. Um, that what mm. was it at 37 or 35 bases and and that just that's Warren Ball more for me than like just crashing it up with 12. It's going through the phases, keeping yourself in the game and yeah, giving yourself a chance to, to win it at the end. So yeah, I, I, I think we all see a, yeah, I, I, I don't really want to say like a more passionate because I don't think, I think all Wales teams are pretty passionate, but I think we're going to have like a more fired up um, Walsh team and a team that's that they they're going to get behind Warren Gatlin very quickly and yeah so that, that, that's what I look forward to I, I I think Wales are going to do a lot better than people uh, think in the Six Nations and for once I'm not writing them off <laughs> <laughs> that that gives me a little bit of hope Jared so I appreciate you saying that yeah the last time I did write them off they won a Grand Slam so maybe I should be writing them off for you <laughs> <laughs> it's the Paul Williams effect on Twitter. Uh, yeah, exactly. If you say something's going to happen, it's not going to happen. Love it. <laughs> no, we know much better than to write off Wales in the Six Nations. They'll they'll end up getting a Grand Slam when you do that. Well, well just with the uh, um, Warren's um, coaching team. So he's brought in Mike Forshaw as his defense coach. Alex King is the attack coach. Um, Neil Jenkins has stayed on taking... Um, as a skills coach and Jonathan Humphreys as a forwards coach. Are you happy with that coaching staff? Obviously, given that he had to assemble it quite quickly. Yeah, it's, it can't be an easy task, first and foremost, to just pull together a team like that. I think that um, I saw somebody saying before that clearly his formula for defence coaches is just find you know a rugby league player from Wigan um, and get them in to do that. And look, it worked last time. And I believe that for sure. So he's been with Sale, and I believe they've had the best defensive record in terms of tries conceded yeah. uh, out of anybody in the Prem, uh, which is something that certainly fills me with a bit of confidence that uh, he's somebody that Warren Gatlin feels he can work with. Um, yeah, it's uh, obviously time will tell on all these things. It's difficult to kind of uh, judge this so far in advance uh, of, of the first game, but um, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful. I did like uh, Stephen Jones as an attack coach before, but. As I say, I think the issue was less the attack itself and more the fact that we were so heavily reliant on it meant it was easier to defend because uh, it's you know it's much easier to defend a team who don't really lean into their kicking game too much because it's a lot more predictable. Um, yeah, so we'll see. Obviously, I think there was a lot of people hoping for either Adam Jones or Duncan Jones to come in with the forwards um, uh, to maybe replace or go alongside Jonathan Humphreys. Um, but ultimately, as a lifelong Welsh fan, I think the thing I most am inclined to do is trust Warren Gatland because he's got a lot of these decisions correct in past and uh, he very much knows the type of coach he can work with uh, and the, the type of coach indeed his players can work with. So obviously this is one of those things you could end up clipping up uh, when you get next get me on this time next year, but I'm I'm hopeful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, so the one thing I can say about Forshaw is that uh, I've watched a few Sale Sharks games that have turned into like absolute slugfest where it's uh, the score ends up being something like nine six or something like that, and 
yeah, we've had our fair share of South African uh, Wales games where it's really turned into one of those hard-fought matches. So I think I that's where <laughs> I, 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 I do as well. But I think that's sort of where Gatlin's gone with that one. Um, and I, the, the other thing I wanted to hear from you is uh, what what were you, what's your thoughts around um, Rob Howley and the prospect of him coming back that was uh, actually blocked by the um, Welsh Rugby Union? Yeah, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because Rob Howley's a coach I don't really know how to reflect on because his end to his international career with Wales was so abrupt that you kind of thought like, oh, right, okay, what's going on there then? Um, Because of the whole, you know, the betting scandal and so on. But um, yeah, I think that obviously we played a lot of our best rugby under Rob Howley. um, But obviously there was also, you know, there was that, infamous autumn where he took over the head coach job and I believe we were whitewashed the entire time. But I think the thing that people have forgotten about Rob Howley, he spent the last few years with Canada who have been an absolute mess, the Canadian men's team. Uh, They've gone so far backwards that they got absolutely hammered by Spain. I think they scored one try in that entire game, uh, maybe two, uh, uh, like at max. Um, When, you know, you used to think of Canada as a team who could, you know, push maybe not necessarily the big teams in a World Cup, but the ones just above them, um, you know, you, you you always have good games with, and yet kind of gone so far back. I largely pin this on Kingsley Jones, another Welshman, who's done a terrible job with them. Um, but Rob Howley doesn't seem to have been able to rescue Canada in any way, shape or form. So uh, with that in mind, I'm, I can see why the WOU weren't rushing to get him back. Ah. Let's move to talking about the Welsh squad. And Jan, I'll start with you in this one. I mean, it's still a quality squad. I mean, they might have lost 9 and 12 and, you know, are going through quite a tough time. But, you know, squad that still has the likes of Ked Owens, the likes of Tommy Rafael, the likes of um, Liam Williams and Dan Bigard. That's a, that's, a, that's a brilliant squad. And it's most of the people that were there in the 2021 um, Six Nations with. Yeah, I, I think it's a great squad. It's a very strong squad. And um, although Gatlin's like gone and backed some of the, the players that he knows and uh, you know, earned most of their caps under him, um, I think he's, he's done well to bring in um, some youth in, in key positions. Um, he's definitely looking at uh, some of these younger players. Um, you know, some of the names are escaping me now, but uh, that he's brought in two young centers. I think there's two uncapped one, or the one has uh, yeah. there's another one with Kieran one Williams cap and Mason well. Grady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I've, I've seen Hawkins. I've seen uh, Grady quite a bit. Um, I I quite like mm. him. He's quite a big, um, fast outside center. Um, but yeah, the the one shock for me, and I think a lot of uh, Welsh fans, or especially Ospreys fans, will agree with me is that I was quite shocked that Nicky Smith didn't get in the side. Um, I thought he was nailed on based on his form. Sure. Um, so, yeah, but but the, the, otherwise, uh, I, I think it's a great squad. Um, and, you know, they've always got a world-class number eight in Valletar. So, <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah. finding the rest of the pack. 100% agree on Nicky Smith. Um, he was absolutely fantastic against Leicester the other week. And just generally, he's been on really, really good form. Um, the Ospreys have produced a lot of really good scrummages with Duncan Jones, of course, being the scrum coach there. Um, and Nicky Smith has been on fantastic form around the park. I think that actually, weirdly, his like uh, at mall time, he's been really, really effective. 
but like his defending of Mauls is something that's really complimented Adam Beard, who was, of course, the guy that Wales have lent on for, you know, the best part of five years in that aspect. So, yeah, I'm really surprised not to see Nicky Smith, but I think he's probably the only real complaint I would have mm. um, about all of that. And I think it's very possible that later in, later on in the Six Nations, he could have some kind of involvement. No, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. And I, I spoke about it in one of my rugby groups afterwards. And I said, uh, "There's this is like the least debated Welsh squad I've seen in a very long time. Like everyone's just sort of accepted it. Mm. And they moaned about Smith, but there was nobody else that like, he said, okay, no, he, he was robbed not to be in or anything like that. Yeah. Warren Gatland, above everything, he loves a player who can prove him wrong. The, mm. uh, you look at the Lions squad from 2021, he didn't pick Carl Sinclair at first. And then Carl Sinclair got a man of the match performance that weekend and, you know, had a really emotional post-match interview. And then somebody, you know, picked up a little niggle and Warren Gatland said, yeah, fair play, I should have picked him in the first place. I was completely wrong there. Um, and he's going to be a really important member of our squad from now on. Uh, and there's there's something he absolutely loves about a player who you know if he if he doesn't pick him uh, will really stand up to that. I think Nicky Smith is going to fall into that category. And then, well, just um, you wrote a great article on the Rugby Pass um, website talking about the players that are set to profit from uh, Wales' new game plan with Warren Gatlin coming in, and you listed um, five players there. So I don't want to give away too much of it, but I'm sure you can talk about it as well. But yeah, I think you can pick out some of the players that you want to talk about from that um, article and just talk to us as to why they would benefit from Gatling coming back. Absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'll pick out a couple. I think that one of them is Kieran Hardy, who's um, a scrum half who uh, only played in the PIVAC era, um, won his first cap in 2020. Um, and it was interesting because Hardy uh, is, is a player who really stands out when you watch him for the Scarlets. Um, he's... You look at him originally and you think, oh, yeah, he's quite quick. You know, he does like tap and goes and that kind of thing. You know, he's quite an exciting player. And actually, he came into the Wales squad and became the best kicking nine in Wales, which uh, is, yeah, he really matured over quite a short space of time. Um, and Thomas Williams is obviously one of the most talented players, uh, possibly in Europe, if not, you know, just in Wales. Um, and look, he's a, he's a really good player, Thomas Williams. But I think Kieran Hardy will be Gatlin's pick for the starting nine because. Um, his kicking game was fantastic. He kicked more than any of the nine in Wales. And um, there was a stat that went out on the, the latest Squidge video that we've done uh, where uh, we said that Kieran Hardy, no, the majority of well, like big Welsh wins in the PVAC era have come because, because Hardy's kicked so much and kicked so accurately and well. So he's a player that I'm really excited to see what Gatlin does with him. Uh, and hopefully that we can rely on him a little bit more alongside Bigger. Um, another player I'll pick out is Joe Hawkins, who uh, won his first cap against Australia in the autumn and was nothing short of exceptional. Um, there was only a handful of times where, you know, he did flashy things with the ball. But since we lost Hadley Parks to, um, you know, moving to Japan and retiring from international rugby, uh, Wales have struggled to kind of bring through somebody who they consider like a second distributor. I really like Nick Tompkins as a 12. Uh, I really like him as a player makes some really good line breaks and is good defensively. He hasn't done anything wrong, but I feel like Joe Hawkins is young, extremely good as a leader, uh, has a great handling and kicking game, which I think could potentially give him the edge in just a few games. And I think the amount of line breaks we saw Wales make just because they had just a, a second genuine option to open up more space for other players, I think Joe Hawkins could be somebody that is 
seriously good for Wales for a long time. Yeah, can I actually stay on that player? Like he, I mean, I, I watched the Squidge um, video, of course, um, when he just outlining his contribution in that Australia loss, um, the last game. But he's really good. He seems like just such mm. a smart type of player, that sort of cerebral type 12 that can really open up a game for you. And, you know, a bigger kind of reminds me of uh, Andre Pollard in some ways that, you mm. know, obviously he's great with the kicking game. He's, you know, decently physical, but maybe isn't the most, his attacking instincts aren't maybe the best. And he's maybe, pro he can be profited by having another distributor there to help him. So, I'm looking forward to that combination if that happens between um, Big and Hawkins. Yeah, I think that to to stick on the kind of South African comparison, I think that, and this is a lot of pressure to put on a kid who's, you know, maybe 22, but I think that he has the potential to grow into somebody a little bit like Andre Esterhazen, who uh, is obviously a really big physical presence. And that's the first thing you think about him. But actually, he doesn't rely on that at all because his, you know, his handling and kicking games really back it up. Uh, and that's, you know, something I'm really excited to see hopefully grows into a similar role to somebody like an Esther Hazen. Yo, Jared, I'm sure you'd be salivating at that type of comparison. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's a great one. And I, I, I think uh, I, it's great to hear you talk about Esther Hazen like that because I think he gets undersold as a playmaker. Um, I think... Mm -hmm. Dialander as well, but uh, I, th I think I SA is in a bit more than than Dialander, and that uh, people just think that he's just a crash ball center. And I think there's a lot more to it. And yeah, I, I think um, the two Exeter forwards that uh, are in the Wales uh, squad are also great additions. Um, it's Jenkins and uh, uh, Chinzua. Chin so. Yeah, yes. I, I, I fumbled with the the name, the pronunciation there, but uh, I, I think both of them give Wales that um, option as blindside flankers and as locks, and I think that that's a premium in Test rugby at the moment that a lot of countries don't really have. Um, South Africa, we sort of blessed with Peter Steftetoy, Franco Mostert, and then probably mm. Ulrich Lowe. And uh, if you look at a team like England, they probably only have one in Courtney Laws. So I think the the prospect of them to either taking a second row spot and then the other one taking a blindside role filling the boots of Dan Lydiot or I think that's a that's a big thing for for a Warren Gatlin coach side going forward a hundred percent like uh, I think what's really important for those two guys is they've grown up playing alongside you know the likes of um, Sam Simmons and Johnny Hill and mm. players who playing a dominant pack who know how to score tries. Um, and I think that that's really, really important. I think that Gatland will really like that influence and want to bring that into the international side. I think, yeah, with, with Shinzer in particular, he's played, you know, across the second row and the back row. And it's so difficult to kind of pick what your starting back row is with um, not only Shinzer, but you've got Rafael, who's been absolutely lighting up not only the Premiership, but also Europe, um, has had one bad game under PVAC, but otherwise was, I mean, you guys will attest to how much of a nuisance he was to the Springboks in the summer. Mm. Um, <laughs> the, he, he would have been, I can imagine, a really frustrating player to have on the opposition. Um, uh, Justin Tipperick obviously is in great form. Talupe Falatau is uh, probably been the best player in Wales for a decade now. Uh, it's impossible to pick a back row and it's possible to even pick a bench back row. I think that, Gatlin might be tempted to go for a 6-2 bench. Um, 
which you know again will be a, a popular suggestion uh, among South Africans. But you, you're right to to bring up somebody like Franco Mostert, which I think is uh, potentially a role that could be filled by Shinza because uh, he can play, as you say, either back row or second row. And something that Gatland quite likes is somebody who can play across the back row and the second row. I feel like he will really, really like Shinza because he's really quick and physical. Um, and yeah, I mean, I would love for Wales to develop its very own Franco Moster. It's probably very <laughs> ambitious, but yeah. I don't know. I think Lydia's quite close, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, he's in the latter end of his career. He's um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, picked up a lot of injuries and stuff, but uh, it's impossible not to love Dan Lydia. Um, I think he's an extremely iconic player and somebody I grew up watching and loving. Of course, there's Aaron Wainwright in the squad as well, who yeah, um, is an extremely good kind of uh, physical presence, I suppose. Um, and somebody that I know Gatlin definitely loves, um, had a fantastic World Cup in 2019. Um, and yeah, he's extremely athletic. And uh, I'd love to see what kind of role he plays in the squad as well. You know, and it seems like with just listening to some podcasts that I've heard um, Warren Gatlin appear on, the, the Five Live um, podcast, um, and even in um, the Rugby Daily podcast, he has been punting um, Chinza as a potential breakthrough player, someone that will probably be uh, a big, have a big role in the squad. And it's interesting to think about whether he might start him and uh, or just bring him off the bench and, like we're talking about, be that hybrid lock flank role. I think there's a lot of options that are opened up. And, you know, yes, Lydia is obviously a fantastic player, but, you know, that up, that you know, that size that, you know, Shenzhou can bring and, you know, mm. the athlete, like, uh, it's, 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 uh, you know, he's got that athleticism as well. Like he's just a big, you know, game breaking type of player. Like he can really open up, um, some combinations. I mean, imagine him and, you know, well, Tipperick is obviously a great ball carrying himself and can do obviously so much around the field, but imagine him and Jack Morgan, um, finishing yes. off a game. That would be Completely fantastic. I forgot to mention Jack Morgan, who's been one of the best <laughs> players in Wales for yeah. a year. And he was possibly our best player in the autumn and has been absolutely unreal for the Ospreys since then and in Europe and got man of the match against Leicester Tigers. Uh, he's a, an extreme physical presence. Like I've said that twice now, but I stand by it. Um, you're, I mean, you're right that the bomb squad is proof that there is nothing more terrifying than seeing somebody massive come on with 20 minutes to go when you're already shattered from playing 60 minutes. Um, and... The great thing about supporting this Welsh team and looking at the squad is you're guaranteed that one of those is going to come on at least uh, in the last 20 minutes. And it's impossible to pick which. I mean, as I say, I'd like to see Shinza play that role off the bench as kind of the uh, the bonus man in the bomb squad because he can cover two positions and is, as you say, just huge. I think I'm just trying to think of what, what back row I would like to see out there. I think Morgan Tipperick Falatau feels pretty uh, tempting, but. Again, like, what do you do with Tommy Rafael? Because he's too good not to pick. Um, it's it's impossible. It's an impossible conundrum. It's a great position to be in. Yeah, I, I think yeah. We, we've spoken a lot about Felitao as well, but uh, I think with having him at number eight, you're pretty uh, blessed in the sense that you can pick whichever flankers you want. Like, you don't have to have a big abrasive um, blindside because Felitao will pick up that work. Very much like Dwayne from mm. that you don't have to... He, he can sort of balance out any back row um, with whatever work you need to do, kind of thing. So I th that's 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 what I think makes uh, Felitao even better is that uh, he, he 
balance balances out the rest of the back row regardless of who, who you want to pick so you could probably go to prick and um Rafael if you wanted that double breakdown threat absolutely i think that the reason why i think falatau is um one of the best eights in the world for you know the last sort of 10 years or so and as much as like Dwayne Vermeulen is an absolutely world-class player and obviously has won a World Cup, which Falatau hasn't done. But actually between those two players, I would actually pick Falatau because um, Dwayne Vermeulen is one of the best eights in the world uh, when he's, you know, behind, uh, a, you know, a Franz Marherber and uh, Stephen Kitschoff and Oxen Che and all of those. Um, and actually, Toby Falatau has been playing his entire career behind struggling packs and has still stood out, which for me is just a completely anomaly uh, of a number eight. And um, yeah, he's a complete freak of nature. Um, I don't know how rubbish Wales would be without him. <laughs> I'm just happy we have our clip and our headline now for the for the podcast. It'll make it just go up in the South African rankings. Yeah, I, I now realise. better than Vermeulen. <laughs> I now realise after all the really nice things I said about different South African players, I'm going to have people on my back saying like, oh, you're so biased. <laughs> Can't believe you hate Dwayne Vermeulen. Like, no, I said he's world class. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, you, we, I'm sure by now you know definitely how this goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And for the record, he's, I would say he's probably the only player I would take uh, from the 2019 Welsh team over the Springboks team. That's maybe not true. But he's, you, you know what I'm saying. The, yeah. I'm not saying Wales are anywhere near the Springboks. Um, but uh, Falatau in particular is just a complete standout in the Welsh team, is the point I'm trying to make. Tyler, what I can see happening now is people are going to say, you see, even Wolf from Squidge says that uh, Dwayne Vermeulen's finished and that Evan Rush should be the starting Springbok <laughs> yeah, That's true. <laughs> oh, that's a fantastic yeah. angle. That cape, you know, um, well, I mean, yeah, we've had a big sort of like push in Cape Town for Evan Rush to become like the Springbok 8, like from now until forever. And yeah, yeah. this will be fueling up He's their agenda. He's a quality agenda, player. Sure. Uh, yeah. You know, it doesn't surprise me that so many people are calling for that. Um, he's an extremely good ball carrier. Um, I would be excited to see, you know, if he did get in the Springboks team, what he what he would do. Yeah, uh, no, I'm I'm a fan of his. Yeah, I yeah, I think just on that Salus forward thing, I would definitely, I'd, I'm probably wanting to push for the Chinza, Rafael, Falatal starting off, and then Tabrik and Morgan off the bench, just as like almost yeah. like two fetches just you know causing havoc at the end of the game but okay. yeah i think that's it's probably the best way to fit in all those seven um those um uh open side flank talents that you have like you kind of have to do a bit of a a, a, a pooper um pooper mm. pocock combination with them yeah yeah and that that's that's something that's really exciting in itself i think you're right i think the thing is it's so harsh on tipperick to stick him on the bench but um i think the, the influence he can have in the last sort of 20 minutes um is something quite powerful. Um, so yeah, I, I think I agree with the back row you've just selected of Morgan, Raphael, Falatau. But the thing is, no matter what he names uh, before round one, I will agree with it. <laughs> I think to move just to, to the back three, I mean, there's also quite a few interesting um, uh, poses and dilemmas there for for, for Gatland uh, in a squad. Uh, we have Lee Hofpenny's now, I think, fully returned to the squad. Um, you know, Rio Dyer had a great November um, Autumn Nations series. Lewis Rezamit from last I heard, I think he's a, he's not available for the first two matches um, due mm -hmm. to injury. So, and obviously Liam Williams and Cuthbert and Josh Adams there as well. And I think, well, I'm very much a big Josh Adams fan. I think he's, 
you know, I think the last few years he was near the best winger in the world. And then Pivak started to play in 13 and that's when things just got, a, got, yeah, that's when the, that's when, that's when his downfall started. But I don't know how you fit in those talents into one, um, you know, back three combination that makes sense. Is it going for Lee Halfpenny, a bit more of a pragmatic fullback? Do you go with Liam Williams on the wing or at fullback? Rio Dyer, what do you do with them? And, you know, you go from the youth of Rio Dyer to the experience of Alex Cuthbert as well. Yeah, it's it's a difficult one to select, isn't it? Because the last game of the autumn just gone, Josh Adams ended up playing fullback against Australia and looked really, really good there. So, again, that's an impossible thing to kind of think about because actually, um, you look at, yeah, Lee Halfpenny and Liam Williams are both so established. Um, if Lee Halfpenny can stay fit, I would like to see him start, but he's had so many injuries in a row that I very much worry about that. But obviously, big fan of Lee Halfpenny, um, as is everybody who has supported Wales, and, and indeed just general rugby fans. I think uh, Lee Halfpenny is somebody that is extremely popular around the world. But um, yeah, Josh Adams is an absolute cert in that. I would like to say Lee Halfpenny if he's fit. I mean, Liam Williams is obviously an extremely talented player. So um, in terms of attacking and kicking, um, he's certainly got those those two skills in spades. I think it's difficult to pick as well between Cuthbert and Dyer um, because Cuthbert is somebody who I think everybody, myself included, probably thought was finished. And then he came in last year in the Six Nations and was really, really good. So, um, you know, I very much welcome it. Uh, he scored a couple of tries in the last few weeks for the Ospreys, which took him a while to kind of get get his, um, off the ground running for the Ospreys in terms of try scoring. But, uh, you know, I think he's picked up a little bit of momentum there. Uh, Rio Dyer, obviously, is really quick and is really young. So, um, in fact, maybe he's about 24, I think, maybe Rio Dyer. But, like, either way, he's he's a promising talent. And I think Pivak, to his credit, saw something in him and thought, you know what, he's a player we can develop into what we want. And... Um, uh, he showed during the autumn that actually, you know, he's got a lot of talent and uh, scored a good couple of tries against the All Blacks and the Wallabies. So uh, I'd love to see where we could go, you know, under Gatland. Um, I'm sure that he could develop him into a really well-rounded player. Yeah, well, I, I'll jump on quickly what you said about Lee Halfpenny. I think uh, rugby fans just love Lee Halfpenny. Unless, uh, I think mm. the, it was Australians that probably don't like him. Um, and that's just purely down <laughs> to what he did to them. But uh, yeah, over, overall, uh, I think you're pretty spot on. I, I would imagine that um, if if George North is going to be playing outside centre, then Gatlin will be more inclined to go with like um, Liam Williams, uh, Lee Halfpenny and Josh Adam as his um, back three. But I think Cuthbert will get in if uh, North isn't playing outside centre. I think he'll look... Uh, to mm. make make sure he gets a big a big uh, lad on the outside, um, in the in in the more outside position and not necessarily just at number twelve. Hence why uh, he's looked at Mason Grady as well. So, yeah, I yeah. I, I think a lot. Uh, Gatlin loves a big a big lad in his in his uh, backline. So I th- just I think a little a lot will depend on if North is playing or not. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a good problem to have again, isn't it? And you've got then Tomkins as the the other option if if we're doing my old ideal world where um uh I've got Joe Hawkins starting at twelve. Um and like Tomkins is obviously a really solid centre. Um I do wonder as well, kind of, whether his role's gonna change under Gatland, because um I've always kind of had a run, bit of a running joke about how 
the Welsh Nick Tomkins seems like an entirely different player to the Saracens Nick Tomkins. And that's not a bad thing. Just like he's extremely direct when he plays for Saracens. And yet for Wales, you know, he's seen kind of more as like a creative type player um, who, you know, um, tries to use his pace and his offload a little bit more. So I do wonder if Gatlin's going to look at Nick Tomkins and go, no, actually, we just want you to get the ball, run in a straight line and make no mistakes. So again, that's a, that's a weird one to figure out. As you say, uh, North is probably the leading contender there because um, he's, first of all, just a massive man um, and has been on pretty good form uh, by all accounts when he's uh, had a crack at 13. So uh, hopefully, yeah, he picks up some form there and uh, gets a few games. Yeah, I think that's very interesting in terms of the backline combinations that um, Gatlin has um, at at his disposal. Like you can go with a few different combinations depending on what you want to do. The one thing that just sticks in my brain and uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts about it, Will, is the 2021 Lions series. I think Gatlin, some, I think he almost overthought himself with some of his selections and tactics that he went obviously for trying to, you know, you know, match up to the box in the physical game and then that Lions series. But they and he tried to do the 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 kick chase game and put pressure on Chase and Colby. He used John van der for that. But, you know, why wouldn't he select Josh Adams for to in that position? And, you know, the you know, maybe going up a bit to Warren Board um, with, you know, how he was trying to match fire with fire with the spring box. It does make me think or you know, make me a bit concerned for the Welsh team that he might also just almost overthink himself with the with picking someone like Josh Adams or picking um, Hawkins as well and just, you know, not playing maybe, you know, good combinations and getting a bit muddled with his tactics. I don't know what you think about that. I think it's an entirely fair concern to have because uh, that Lions tour is quite a good example that uh, it did come across as though he kind of had an idea of what his team was going to be before they flew out to South Africa. Um, yeah, there was the whole thing with Josh Adams being the top trash scorer on tour and then not coming in um, was, you know, quite a difficult uh, selection to back up. Um, it's very possible that he could end up doing the same thing again. But um, I think that in this particular Six Nations and indeed World Cup, there's a little bit less pressure on Gatland, weirdly, even though he's just come back into the job, because I think people, everybody in Wales will want him to do well and to kind of stick up for him if there's a couple of mistakes. And obviously, there's a possibility that we're going on to the next World Cup. So uh, he's acknowledged that there's a couple of players who are uh, getting on a little bit and wants to bring through some younger options and so on. So you look at the likes of like Ken Owens, uh, he said won't carry on after the World Cup. So, I mean, Dowie Lake's now injured, um, who I, I believe you're both, uh, both quite a fan of Dowie Lake after the South African tour. Um, mm. and, and, you know, like Bradley Roberts has come into the squad as well. Obviously, he's got uh, not only David Jenkins, but also Reese Davis, both uncapped. No, sorry, uh, he, who is now uncapped. Dav Jenkins has one cap uh, in the second row, and Teddy Williams is uncapped. Uh, so he's looking very much to the future in that kind of regard. Um, and I feel like, yeah, I, I've maybe slightly dodged the question here or the, kind of uh, alluded it, but um, I feel like he'll have half an eye on what happens after the World Cup and indeed Six Nations that's coming up. Um, so yeah, I think there might be a few selections where you look at it and go like, oh, I wasn't expecting to do that, but maybe looking at the bigger picture a little bit. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that turns out as well. Um, let's then move on to the real reason we love the Six Nations, and that is that you just all hate each other, which is just <laughs> brilliant to watch from from our side. The no, Ireland... you think we all hate England. We don't hate oh, each yes. other, we hate England. 
Look, we will join you 100% here from the rugby <laughs> championship side as well. We, we love to hate England. But, I mean, the Wales-Island rivalry is also very interesting. I think even just from an Irish perspective, they've just never got the hang of, you know, beating Warren Gatlin. They have a quite a horrible record, to be frank, at, at, mm. at Cardiff in the last few years. And, you know, they're the number one team in the world. And, you know, there is some shades of 2019 where they're coming as number one. They had, I think, that first match against England and England just completely thrashed them. You know, I'm sure the, the Irish boys are, 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 you know, have that at the back of their mind for this game this weekend. So, yeah, just looking and previewing the game, obviously we don't know what the teams will look like at this stage of the week. But, yeah, how do you see that happening? Yeah, I'm really uh, first. First and foremost, I'm really looking forward to it. I really like this Irish team. I think that they're um, really good and they're headed in a really good direction. Um, it's difficult to kind of call because I think Ireland are one of the most kind of system-led teams in the world. So uh, on a good day they're amazing, and on a bad day they look extremely average. But I feel like um, playing against Ireland is something that I'm now in the habit of really dreading because in the Pivac era it's almost always been the case that they've nullified us and made us look terrible. Uh, because as I say, they've got some of the best systems in the world and uh, are really good at just sucking the life out of an opposition. Um, and I say they're a really, really good team to have. But funnily enough, on the flip side of that, like when Warren Gatlin first came back into the job, there was a part of me that went, oh, I reckon we might beat Ireland now. You know, like at home, uh, in Cardiff, uh, I, I, I quite fancy that. But the thing is, I say that the closer and closer we get to the game, the more I'll, I'll kind of take that back and think like, no, actually, no, I'm st- I still don't think we're as good as them. So, yeah, it's it's no doubt going to be um, an interesting game. But, um, yeah, the more I talk about it, the less confident I feel. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Wales will definitely be more competitive this year than uh, against Ireland than they were last year. And- yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think Fresh the start, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't think uh, um, the like you can uh, put too much pressure on Gatlin, um, saying, "Oh no, he hasn't had much time to to change things or anything." I, I think a lot of players will still know how he operates, and yeah, I think he will do quite a bit like what uh, Borthwick will do and go back to basics on a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can totally see that happening. Um, and I'd, I'd be in favour of that, to be honest. Um, again, especially against Ireland, um, I'm I'm very fine with that. Um, as I say, I have no idea how that's going to go. Um, but it, again, Gatlin's uh, very much a coach who's keen to play the long game. Jared, I don't know how you feel about this, but I think the only prediction I'm confident of making for the Six Nations as a whole is that I can't see a Grand Slam happening this year. Like, I feel like there's going to be the Six Nations where... One week you'll be like, okay, well, I guess Borthwick has fixed England. England are well on their way. The next week something happens to England when they play someone else. You know, France will look great one week and then might lose, you know, playing at Dublin and Twickenham. They probably won't win both of those matches or maybe they won't win any of those matches. Like, I think it'll be a very up and down Six Nations. It'll probably be decided on on points difference. And I think two, three, maybe even four teams will have a decent argument or decent chance of winning it in the final weekend. Oh, I, I I don't know the stats about it, but the last World Cup year, Wales won a Grand Slam. So, and it was under Warren Gatlin. So I'm not going to say there's not going to be a Grand Slam because uh, I, I wouldn't put it past <laughs> Gatlin to do this. Don't you dare yeah. put that curse on us. Yeah, I, I, there's no ways I'm saying it's it's not going to happen. Um, but yeah, uh, 
Also, France have um, Mohamed Hassis back in at tight head. So, yeah, there could be a red card there, and France could also not ma- uh, complete the yeah. Grand Slam. So, <laughs> see yeah, how long it, it, it's, I think it's going to be incredibly um, competitive. And if there is a Grand Slam this year, I think uh, a few of those games will come down to a single try um, splitting the sides. So, I, I think it's going to be incredibly competitive. And I'm also very interested to see how much um, tinkering and testing um, the, the coaches will do. Like, I know Gregor Townsend will change half his team most weeks, but I, I just wonder how much uh, the other coaches will will play around with their squads in the build-up to the World Cup. Yeah, what's interesting with how the, how, you know, the teams in the Six Nations approach the Six Nations, the year of the World Cup versus the Rugby Championship, teams approach rugby championship is rugby championship obviously is closer to the world cup so there's a ton more experimentation if not disregard of the rugby championship like you'll see South Africa New Zealand especially go with two different squads one won't travel to overseas the one will play at home and play the big matches like it's quite clear what the approach is and what the priorities are and you know six nations you know about six seven months before the World Cup and, you know, because of the history, because of the rivalries and because of, you know, the fan pressure, there isn't, you can't really go get away with that excuse of, no, we're focusing on the World Cup. I think, you know, I, I, I was positing on Twitter, I think a few weeks ago saying, no, the Six Nations isn't that important to Ireland. Like they, I think they can go through it without really any drama as long as they don't get thrashed by any of the teams. And I had a lot of Irish fans on my Twitter say, how important the Six Nations is. So I learned my lesson there. But it's so weird, like the difference between, you know, how we approach in the Southern Hemisphere versus, you know, well, like how you guys in the Northern Hemisphere just, you know, focus on the Six Nations, even if it is a rugby World Cup year. Yeah, it's interesting how, like, I mean, uh, I don't know if, uh, the, quite what the stat is about this, but usually the team who wins the champ- rugby championship in a World Cup year doesn't go on to win the World Cup. That Like, people forget that the All Blacks won the rugby championship in 2019, didn't they? Um, and no one cares because South Africa went on and won the World Cup. Um, uh, that's not so right. yeah, you're right. It's interesting. Is that not right? Did- yeah, South Africa were the second, were the only team to win it in the uh, the Rugby Championship and the World Cup. And England are the only team to win the Six Nations in the World Cup. Okay, okay, yeah. fair enough. So, so I had some kind of rationale to what I was saying. Um, just <laughs> pick the wrong example. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think you spot on there uh, about like. Uh, the Six Nations being um, kind of, there's, I think you you have one eye in the World Cup, but then, but it's still very competitive. But then you've got so long after that to prepare for the World Cup. If you have players pick up minor injuries and so on, they've got enough time to recover, and then you've got warm ups to co- to go after that. So yeah, no, it is very different. It's always weird, kind of going into um, international rugby in a World Cup year. It's um, it does it does make me feel very like. Um, uh, anxiously excited for the World Cup coming that's just around the corner now. Yeah, Jared, I think, yeah, you're definitely correct about uh, South Africa and England being the only teams to win in the Six Nations or the Rugby Championship, respectively. Yeah, it, it, but it seems like uh, there's something that we were talking about, I think, in the one of the pods last year. Um, Raspetti had um, some stats out about the winning records of teams, um, you know, in their four year cycle going into a World Cup. And the clear trend was. You either have to be really good in the at least in the two years before the World Cup, if not the whole four year cycle, as you know, most teams are like the All Blacks, Australians in ninety nine, et cetera, et cetera. 
or you're on the Springboks every 12 years where it absolutely doesn't matter how good or bad you are in the four years preceding it. You just rock up and win a World Cup. So it seems like there's two clear tactics in how to win a World Cup is, you know, either be consistently good for a long period of time or, you know, just be the box. So I guess, well, your team would probably fall into the just be the Springboks method of, of winning things. And I guess you've done step one, which is bring in a coach, you know, that at a late stage that can really go to get back to the basics. So maybe that's a good, um, just maybe looking forward to the World Cup. That's maybe a good um, like omen for you guys going, going to France in September. I'd like to hope so. I'd like to hope so. I mean, um, on one hand, there's obviously a lot of work that needs to be done. You know, we're a long, long way off being uh, a World Cup kind of final contention side. But uh, Warren Gatlin knows how to prepare for the, for World Cups. And, you know, he's done this three times before. So, yeah, I suppose if we're going to put an optimistic spin on it, he, he does know how to prep a team. Uh, he does know the cycle very well. And look, as I say, I think Wales are going to be a long way off uh, where they were in 2019, uh, this World Cup. But I'd love to be proven wrong. Yeah, Jared, um, just looking at the, you know, Wales and what they can look forward to in the World Cup, they're in the group with Australia. They're in the group now with the eternal rivals, Georgia as well. Fiji's in that group. They have quite a tricky group, you know. If they're not, if they can can't sort things out um, by September, you know, that there's a very realistic chance that they might not even make it out of their group, never mind, you know, going further in the World Cup. But, you know, because of the draw and because it's Warren Gatlin, there's also a really good chance they'll make a final or at least, you know, come very close to winning a semi-final as well. So I don't know if you can really, if, I don't know what tea, tea leaves you can read, Jared, if you can see what's, you know, what, 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 what can Wales do in this World Cup? Yeah, uh, yeah. like I said before, I'm a big fan of Gatlin and yeah, I think there is a few potential banana skins for Wales to slip on in that pool. But yeah, I I, I would say they would come out uh, one or two in the in the group. I know that's obvious that uh, if the team is going to go through, they would go there. But I haven't seen what Eddie Jones can do with uh, Australia yet. We know what uh, Gats can do with uh, with Wales. So I'd expect them to get out of that group. He's played Fiji enough times at World Cups to to know how to beat them at a World Cup. So I don't think uh, Fiji should be too much of a concern. It's just uh, whether Georgia Please are going to come up. <laughs> I hate playing Fiji in a World Cup. It's always <laughs> the most terrifying game. So I'm going to lose to Fiji. I loved but, it. Honestly, that's a game. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, I bet you did. I bet you did. That game against Fiji in 2019 um, was genuinely, even though we won that game, one of the most horrifying uh, games that I've ever seen Wales play because I thought, because obviously that whole time, you know, I had a lot of pressure as a fan on it, kind of thinking like, oh, this is the Welsh, this is the Welsh, best ever Welsh team has had the best ever chance of, you know, getting to a World Cup final, winning a World Cup. This is the best chance we've ever had and we're going to lose to Fiji like we always do. <laughs> uh, it felt horrible. Yeah, I, well, I was at that game. I, I absolutely loved it. Oh. Um, yeah, that, that's why I say I loved it. Like, I, it was a, um, brilliant for me because it was the only match that I went to that didn't, uh, I was completely neutral. So it was just awesome. And the Welsh fans, you know how the Welsh fans are, like singing mm. before the game. Um, they try to teach us the anthem before we got into the stadium. But, oh, uh, yes. Yeah, I, I lip sing and just, yeah, yeah, it was brilliant. That's great. <laughs> are, are you guys going to this year's World Cup at all? 
Oh, we're, we're, I'm looking into it. It's obviously quite an easy trip for me. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll be making the trip from South Africa. I did buy tickets. I'm now just trying to figure out the getting to France part of oh, it. Fantastic. But, <laughs> well, we'll yeah. have to see you guys there, no doubt. Yeah, we've got 100%. a lot of tickets um, uh, in the bag. So we're yeah, spent, we're pretty much in France the entire tournament. Um, oh, there's one or two trips home I'll be making. But yeah, we've, um, we're going to the opening game and we're going to the final. Oof. So Oof. Um, yeah, very exciting. Brilliant. No, I've I've got... Obviously, I think you you also on social media seeing the the calamity that was the the ticketing system for the World mm. Cup um, France side. Yeah, I mean we didn't mention our controversies earlier, but geez, France is going through a lot with Bernard Laporte stepping yes. down as president as well. And yeah, I mean South Africans, you don't need to tell, you don't need to get us on about this World Cup and how it was awarded. Of course, but, um, of course. Yeah, so I got one of the tickets that we got going with a group of friends and family is. Uh, the Italy versus Namibia game, I think the second day of the World Cup. And I oh, fantastic. can't tell you how psyched I have for that game now. Yeah. And just, yeah, I'm probably going to be screaming loud for the for Namibian underdogs in that game. So Absolutely. yeah, I'll, I'll be there in the first week or two of the World Cup for sure. Yeah, man, that's great. I think, yeah, it's, it's really interesting because uh, we've got a load of really random games lined up, but like we've got Italy against Uruguay, which is one of the ones I'm most, the ones I'm <laughs> most excited for. I think we've got Namibia against Uruguay as well, oh. uh, which again, like that's going to be, that's, that's a hot ticket as far as I'm concerned. Like mm. that's, you know, um, just seeing this Uruguay team in itself is enough of a privilege, but, um, you know, seeing them potentially get what they will be eyeing up is, um, quite a big win. Like they won't accept losing that game and for both teams, it's all to play for. And, uh, Uruguay are very much targeting the Italy game as the one that they they want to get a big scalp in, um, and they they're kind of almost taking the Namibia one for granted. So I think that that's going to be a really good game where both teams are going to have to be at their best. So I can't wait. Yeah, I can imagine seeing Arata live will also be a great oh, experience as well. Yes, yes, he's one of the just generally form players in the world right now. Um, and I think seeing him in this Uruguay team is going to be next level. Um, seeing how that translates to. Seeing good players play well in the Rugby World Cup is one of the best things about watching rugby. Um, yeah, no, we are definitely looking forward to that. But, well, I think we can start rounding up the podcast and we can start getting a few predictions so that when we invite you again, either later this year or <laughs> next year, call you out on that. I think last, last year you were optimistic from listening to the, to the previous podcast. You're cautiously optimistic. You didn't really put your neck out and say, we'll get a grand slam and all that sort of stuff. But you're like, you know, we'll perform well. And uh, I think, you know, before the, I think before the Italy game, you could have got away with that, you know. A close sure. loss against England and France. Obviously, the Ireland game didn't go too well. You won against Scotland. But then, yeah, Italy ruined the, the, the party there. But yeah, so I don't know. Well, are you going to predict now five losses in the trot so you guys can get a grand slam? Yeah, yeah, that can't possibly age badly, I don't think, because I'd enjoy it. <laughs> um, no, I reckon um, we're, we're slightly more likely to beat Italy this year than we were last year. Then again, <laughs> they've got a good squad together, so who knows, yeah. and we'll be playing in Rome. But I reckon, let's think, maybe I would be happy with, um, I'd be happy obviously with kind of second or third. Uh, I feel like, Maybe third or fourth is the region that's more likely for Wales to land in. So that's what, three wins or two wins only? 
Yeah, two or three, two or three. I think um, Scotland are in a really weird place right now, so I could see yeah. Wales um, getting a decent win over them. Uh, I think that it's going to be one of those cliched things of not wanting to slip up against Italy twice. Uh, you know, that like it happens once, but they're not going to bite us again. Um, but again, like that's going to age very badly. Um, and again, I love this Italy team. So um, if anything, there's a part of me that would want that to happen. Um, but it's just looking at France and Ireland. I find it so hard to see past those two. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying I think Wales are in a worse place than England. I'm just always so cautious to predict Wales beating England uh, because I, that's a game I care about so much. So, yeah, um, uh, I'll, I'll predict that we're going to lose to all three of those just so if it ages badly, <laughs> I'll actually enjoy it. It's a good strategy. Jared and Yin, what do you want? I mean, I think we'll probably maybe do one more, one more podcast during the week, but yeah, let's maybe get those Six Nations predictions in from your side. Uh, yeah, if if we look, if I look at Wales throughout the for, for throughout the tournament, I reckon they could upset Ireland, catch them unawares in the opening weekend, and I think it plays a big yeah. role that it's in Cardiff. Um, I think the England uh, game also in Cardiff. Uh, I think they can pick up those two wins and beat Scotland and Italy. But yeah, I think that the France game is a step too far. But uh, yeah, mm. who who knows? Um, I, I think Wales got it that third or fourth. Um, and yeah, uh, yeah. It, it, this would be a great year if um, this would have been a great schedule for Gatlin uh, for, uh, had he been in the job for another two, uh, two years prior because yeah. this is the kind yeah. of uh, fixture list that he could win a Grand Slam with. So, 100%. Yeah. Uh, the, this is, it's a favorable fixture list uh, for Wales. And um, I, th- I think Gatlin will be looking to try and uh, test his squad out without um, doing a full overhaul. So, yeah, I, I, I think third or fourth um, is probably where Wales will land. I don't think they'll go anywhere near fifth, and I don't think they'll pick up the wooden spoon. I think it's uh, yeah. Scotland's wooden spoon to grab this year. Mm, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Interesting. Actually, no, go go into that. Do you think it's beat Scotland? Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think mm. that happens mm. this year. Yeah, for sure. I yeah. can see it happening. I can yeah. see yeah. it happening. Yeah, How about you, Tala? Who, who are you backing? What do you reckon? Oh, f- I have no idea. I keep oscillating between. I think it's going to be one of the Six Nations where, you know, like Jared said, Wales beats Ireland this week. Ireland then beats mm. France. France then beats England. England beats Wales. You know, it's going to be that sort of like go around. And I can see very much like three, four teams having three wins each uh, before the final round. Okay. Uh, yeah. I will probably go a good Six Nations for Wales is three wins. I think yeah. that will then mean hopefully you beat one of, if not two of, um, Ireland, France, or England. So three oh, wins, nice. I think, should be the the pass mark for for Gatlin. And um, but yeah, I think they'll probably be like in third or fourth, but in contention in the final weekend. I am mm. gonna go for Ireland um, winning the okay. Six Nations, even yeah. after mm. a loss. I think they'll have a loss and then they'll bounce back and just hopefully, you know, arrest the demons from you know World Cup years past and just you know realize they can bounce back from from losses. I think, yeah, I mean, we can, we'll probably go into more detail with the Island podcast later um, in the next few weeks. But the Island thing, they just have to get over their, almost their eternal fear of big men or big aggressive <laughs> men. Like, they just get Will Skelton on the field and Irish people just now learn or they just aren't able to tackle anymore. Like, in that Australia game last year when Skelton came on, 
I just saw people falling off tackles. I was like, you, you could make those tackles. Like, there's no <laughs> reason why this trauma that you have from Skelton and how he's been beating Leinster the last few years has to come up each and every time you play him. So, yeah, I'm hoping that they can at least get the win over France so that they can build some confidence. But I think there'll be... And yeah, I'm trying to write an article about this as well for the Rugby Bits part, but there'll be reasons for teams to be confident in some of the games and reasons for teams to be a bit worried, you know, going into sure. a World Cup year as well. So I can yeah. see a World uh, uh, Six Nations where everyone gets a win and yeah, everyone has a loss. So yeah. Tyler I, just wants uh, Ireland to, to win the Six Nations so that they do a classic Ireland and peak far uh, too soon. Before <laughs> That's exactly, yeah. I know your game plan, man. <laughs> That's, I think it's the 22nd of September they face us. And I mean, look, they can beat the Springboks. It doesn't really make too much of a difference because either way, the Springboks and or Ireland would be facing um, New Zealand or France in the quarterfinal, you know, should they get that far. And yeah, I don't mind that. I think it's, you know, you want, I think in this World Cup, you want other teams to do your dirty work. So, you know, <laughs> if Ireland is facing the All Blacks in the quarterfinal, great. Get the All Blacks out of the way because, you know, I think, even as South Africans, we'd be the most nervous of facing the All Blacks in the final than any other country because, you know, they're New Zealand. They know how to beat us and they can just do chaos, crazy things that come off in, in, this, in, in their games. So I think we'll just have to, you know, find ways of supporting other teams to, you know, take out the teams that we don't really want to face in the World Cup. Does that all those all entirely fair predictions other than predicting that anybody could ever get over the human instinct to be terrified of you uh, will skelton that bit, <laughs> that bit, bit ambitious no i don't know if if you guys had someone wear i mean get some chins and a will skelton mask or something like that on, yes. on saturday i promise you you'll see yeah. this tackle stats going crazy on saturday i think that might be the secret for a wales win um, yeah, I think the other prediction I, I, I'd like to make is, sure, I, I, you know, obviously, and we can talk about this quickly, the, the Six Nations will be on, um, on Netflix, and I think this will be, and Warren Gatlin has talked about his reservations, he doesn't want to see the halftime team talks, but I think Warren Gatlin has a bit of that Jose Mourinho instinct in him, and I think he will, you know, flourish in that reality TV type of um, setting, so I think he'll be the star of the show. Um, and someone like Ken Owens being your captain, I th he's obviously very charismatic. He's a, mm. you know, he's Mr. Wales. And I think he'll, I think those, I think Wales will be the team to watch in the, in the Six Nations doc because they've got a lot of great characters in, in that team. Absolutely. No, very excited for that. I think, as you say, Ken Owens, charismatic is very much the word. He wears his heart and his sleeve and everything he does. And yeah, I think he's a favorite player to pretty much everybody in Wales in, you know, some way, shape or form. So no, very excited for that. Yeah, I am too. I'm uh, very keen to see all the French uh, pranks that they pull on. I think it's Damien Peno that they always pick on. So yes, I'm, I'm is, very yes. keen on seeing that. <laughs> oh, yes, and hearing him laughing like a howler monkey again. Yes. yes. <laughs> More of it, please. Yeah, I, that's actually a very good sneaky team to watch out for in that, in that documentary as well. But yeah, I think we will wrap it up there. And yeah, we basically predicted not much except for a bit of chaos <laughs> happening in the Six Nations. But yeah, well, thank you so much for, for joining us on this um, Six Nations preview My part. Pleasure. Thank you for yeah, just, you know, educating us um, South Africans on, you know, why this 
Tolo is so special and yeah, what to look forward to from Warren Gatland and, and, and the Welsh team as well. And yeah, mm. we're looking forward to some great results and some great rugby in the next few weeks. And yeah. I'm sure the Squid Rugby channel will be quite busy. So yes, I, assume extremely, you, extremely. I assume you guys will be doing every match as much as possible. Uh, we're not going to try and do every match this, this okay. time around because it killed us off last time. So we're going to do, you know, one or two matches per, per weekend and yeah. do as, get for as much as we possibly can. Because uh, we love the Six Nations, uh, but we don't want to lose sleep over it uh, <laughs> any more than a normal amount. So, yeah. No, that's completely fair. I think, you know, taking a bit of a World Cup analogy, it's good to rest you guys up for the World Cup, rather. <laughs> yes, absolutely. No, I just wanted to say before we finish again, just thank you for having me on. This is um, oh, it's been a privilege both times I've done it. I think um, the content that you guys make and kind of the stuff you put out on social media and so on is absolutely golden. I think that you're both, you know, top-class rugby fans. Um, and you're passionate about the game uh, and not just exclusively, you know, the Springboks uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, your side of things. And I think that's really great. And that's something that, you know, that we can all learn from um, as, as rugby fans. So, no, very much a privilege to talk to the both of you, uh, both top rugby fans. So thank you. Yeah. And well, uh, just from my side, it was brilliant to have you on. And uh, I think everyone appreciates the content that you and your brother um, push out. And yeah, I, yeah. I just think uh, if, if you can just uh, let everyone know where they can find you. Um, I think uh, when we say Squidge, we, everyone yes. assumes that YouTube, but uh, where else can people find you? Yeah, so uh, for, for me personally, you can. I'm on Twitter and Instagram and all of the likes on Will underscore Owen 9. Um, and yeah, we do, of course, the, um, the Squidge Rugby. You've spoken about all the stuff on YouTube. There's also a podcast where a lot of South African listeners will, will probably like this because we're going back through every game of the 2007 Rugby World Cup. Yes, every single one, including the <laughs> final, which you'll, you'll certainly quite like. Um, and we've had uh, Jared on that, the, that pod already to speak yeah. about the Springboks opening game. Um, Tyler, we've spoken uh, to you about potentially getting you on at some point. Uh, spoilers, Ooh. but... Um, <laughs> Uh, you know that's something I very much enjoy doing. So obviously it's a great, a great memory for all Springboks fans, and we're loving the tournament so far. So excited to see uh, what what it brings in future. So yeah, that's the the Squidge Rugby World Cup retrospective podcast. Yeah, that's a brilliant listen. And yeah, I mean, apart from just breaking down the games, just the random things that you guys look at and then some the pods are just crazy. I haven't listened to Jared's one yet, but like. Yo, you just go off tangents. Like it's actually <laughs> really hilarious as well. So I, I'm looking forward to that. I mean, I'm, I'm sure some people on Twitter that follow you guys would know about the whole, you know, for the 1987 um, yes. review pod, the dog that went onto the pitch <laughs> yeah. and now that became a running theme for months it's, and months on end. It was the best part of 1987 was wondering whether a dog was going to run on the pitch this week. And <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, won't, I won't quite spoil exactly what happened, but... By the time it came to wrapping up the 1987 pod, um, there were two dogs in contention to win player of the tournament. <laughs> so yeah, for that, you know, deep cutting analysis, please follow yes. Will Owen on, 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 on Twitter and all social media platforms. He also writes for Rugby Pass. You can see his um, article on the Rugby Pass um, uh, Plus um, platform also about, you know, the Wales players that all step up in, in the Warren Gatlin era. We'll definitely RT it on our page as well. And yeah, we'll owe it. Great rugby man. And yeah, we're looking forward to a great Six Nations. Thank you. Happy Sixmas. <laughs> Happy Sixmas to everyone. And yeah, we're looking forward to a great um, tournament. Please, you know, follow the Rugby Bits podcast and, and um, 
you know, drop a, a like or a five-star rating to share this podcast with the rugby world, subscribe, download, and do each and everything so we can get up those rankings as well. And yeah, we are looking forward to breaking down each and every game of the Six Nations as well.